Welcome, everyone. I'm Kevin Miller, and this is The Ziggler Show, founded by the grandfather of inspiration himself, Zig Ziggler. Our focus here is you and your personal development. The way to have more tomorrow is to become more today. So we bring you the best of today's world influencers and discover how we can all apply new and classic methodologies of personal growth to our lives. In this episode, we look at how to fend off negative people. What do you do when confronted with a negative person, whether they're just spouting negativity to or around you or outright attacking you? Unless you live and work alone and are a veritable hermit, negative people are just unavoidable. In this episode, I play an impacting message from Zig Ziglar that does a profound job of highlighting the consequences of unleashed negativity, unstopped negativity. From it, I posed this question to the Ziggler audience. How do you cope when you're on the receiving end of negativity so you don't become negative yourself? The responses ranged from run away far and fast and avoid at all costs to striving to understand the other person and help bring them around to a more positive outlook. Many cited the need for compassion on hurting people. But what seemed to bubble to the surface was the necessity for us all to be emotionally confident in order to healthily deal with negative people. Tom Ziegler joined me for the discussion and actually uh, charged us to become emotional ninjas. I invite you to join me in these weekly discussions, by the way. Just find and friend me on Facebook at agentkmiller.com. Uh, And I thank you guys for listening to the show and helping us as we're about to reach 40 million downloads. All right. So I'm going to start off with this six minute message from Zig Ziglar. And then Tom and I will start reading through the comments right after I highlight our esteemed show sponsors. Love the story of Mr. B. He called a meeting uh, one day told all of his people, now, folks, you know, we've been doing well, but we can do a lot better than we've been doing in the past. I've got to confess that much of the difficulty has been lying with me. I've not been the leader that I am capable of being. I've not set a good example, but from here on in, I'm going to get here early. I'm going to stay late. going to take short coffee breaks and short lunch breaks. I'm going to be the example, and I encourage everybody to follow through because we can be so good at this company. We can grow so fast. We can do so much. Oh, it was quite an inspiring speech, and he really intended to do all of it. But you know how folks do. They kind of forget those speeches after a little while. A couple of weeks later, he was out of the country club having lunch, forgot all about the time. Suddenly looked at his watch, realized he was due back to the office in four minutes. He hopped up, made a mad dash to the parking lot, scratched off, doing about 90 miles an hour down the freeway, and the long arm of the law entered the picture. Gave him a ticket. Are you talking about somebody who was unhappy? Mr. B was absolutely furious. He got back to the office and he was just steaming. Uh, he said, the very idea, this man out there worrying about somebody breaking the speed limit just a little bit. He ought to be looking for robbers and murderers and rapists. And these people who are breaking the law, really breaking it, leave us peaceful taxpaying citizens alone. I'm telling you, he was upset. He walked in to the office. And you know how we've always done. When somebody catches us with our hand in the cookie jar, how we tendency to say, look there. That way it diverts the attention. He walked in, he called for a sales manager in a loud voice, says, come on into the office. I want to talk to you. 
Sales manager came in. He said, I want you to tell me uh, about the Armstrong account. He said, I want to know what's been happening with it. You've been fooling with that deal for three weeks. You should have closed it a dozen times. Bring me up to date. Sales manager said, Mr. B, you know, I don't know what happened. I, I, I had it. I thought I had it. I thought it was all signed, sealed, and delivered. But at the last minute, you know, it just came unglued, and I lost the deal. Now, if you think Mr. B was upset before, you should have seen him now. He literally hit the ceiling. He said, you know, you've been my sales manager for 16 years. I've been depending on you to bring business in. Here we had the chance to really have a big breakthrough, and what do you do? You blow it. Well, let me tell you something, friend. Just because you've been here 16 years does not mean you got a lifetime contract. Now, you're going to replace that business or I'm going to replace you. Oh, he was upset. But if you think he was upset, you should have seen that sales manager. He's go storming out there and said, this is ridiculous. For 16 years, I've been running this company, brought in all of the business. Hadn't been for me, they'd have gone bankrupt years ago. And now just because I fouled up one deal, could have happened to anybody, he blames me. Oh, he was really upset. Called his secretary in the office, said, I want to know, where are you on that Hilliard account? She said, well, now, you know, I've been working on three or four other things at the same time. And you said they took president. He said, look, don't give me any lousy excuses. I want that account taken care of. I want those letters gotten out that I've given to you. And I want to know, did you get them out? She said, no, I've been busy on the other. He said, you know, just because you've been here for eight years doesn't mean you've got a lifetime contract. Now, if you can't do better on these things, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to get somebody who can. Oh, he was really upset. But if you think he was upset, you should have seen that secretary. She goes strumming out of there. She said, this is ridiculous. I've been running this company for eight years. Hadn't been for me. We'd gone bankrupt years ago. And now just because I can't do three things at once, he jumps all over me. This is not fair. And who does he think he's kidding? Fire me. As much as I know about that sucker, who does he think he is kidding? Oh, she was really upset. She walked out of the switchboard operator and said, look, I got a half dozen letters. I want you to get them out. Now, I know this is normally not your job, but you don't do anything anyhow, but sit out here and occasionally answer the telephone. And I want you to tell right now that if you can't get them out, I'll get me somebody who can. Oh, she was really upset. But if you think she is upset, you should have seen that switchboard operator. She said, that's ridiculous. I've been here over 10 years. Matter of fact, I'm the glue that holds this company together. If it weren't for me, we'd have gone out of business years ago. And now, here they're not doing a thing in the back but gossiping, talking, drinking coffee, and all that sort of thing. I'm worked to death out here. And then they load something on me. And they're saying, if you don't do it, we're going to fire you. Oh, she was upset. She got home. She is still furious. Instantly, she got the letters out. Got home. She is furious. She walked in. First thing she saw was a 12-year-old son laying there on the floor watching television. Second thing she saw was a big rip right across the seat of his britches. She said, son, how many times have I told you when you come home from school, you're supposed to put your play clothes on? Mother has a hard enough time as it is supporting you and sending you through school. Now, just because you've been disobedient upstairs right now, going to be no supper for you tonight and no television for the next three weeks. Oh, I'm telling you. She was upset. But if you think she is upset, you should have seen that little 12-year-old boy. He hopped up and said, that's ridiculous. He said, I was doing something for my old mother. She doesn't give me a chance to explain. It was an accident. It could have happened to anybody. It wasn't my fault. And about that time, his tomcat walked right in front of him which was a mistake. I mean, a bad one. The boy reached down and kicked the tomcat. He said, you get out of here. You've probably been up to some no good yourself. <laughs> now, folks, let me ask you a couple of questions. Wouldn't it have been so much better if Mr. B had just gone directly from the country club 
to that switchboard operator's house and kick that cat himself. <laughs> Whose cat have you been kicking? May I ask you another question? Has anybody been kicking your cat? All right, Tom. Well, as you live in the legacy of Ziegler, you are the legacy of Ziegler. Ziegler I'm sure you're, you've never, you never have negativity to confront, right? <laughs> oh, I think, Kevin, the human condition is you only have negativity to confront when you're either awake or asleep. Because, yeah. believe it or not, I have problems come up in my dreams sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's everywhere and uh, hard to get away from. Well, hey, here, let's, let's talk about it. I'm going to throw – here, I'm gonna, I, I clumped – or my team clumped three together here, and uh, they did it under the title of Walk Away. So um, uh, I'm not sure how you pronounce this, uh, Leodad. He said, it's hard, but it's in my best interest not to get negative right back, so I tend to walk away and avoid the source of negativity as much as possible, especially if I realize the person is toxic because trying to get them to see how negative they are so they will stop will likely be futile. Uh, Tom Dale, right after that, he says, ignore, ignore, ignore. Then say something like, I'm glad I'm looking at the grass rather than feeding the roots and physically, or at least mentally walk away. John Bingham said, I either smile and walk away without saying a word, or I immediately start to audibly find and state the silver lining and what the negative per people are saying. If you're persistent, it drives them crazy and eventually away. And sometimes it's fun. Okay. Well, I, you know, walking away sounds, I, mean, I would, I would have to say that personally, I'd love to always do that. You know, and you, you do come into personal boundaries, right? I mean, there, there are healthy boundaries to this and yet it's also often difficult and maybe even disrespectful to just walk away. It's not something you can always do. Um, that's a, that's a hard, I, there's a good balance. Where do you have personal boundaries and where do you have still respect and love for another person regardless? Yeah. You know, I look at it, to me, there's all kinds of negativity. Uh, there are perpetually toxic, negative people. And it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the temperature of the room or how bright the sun is or whether the air conditioner is strong enough in the car. They just got that negative slant. Mm -hmm. And that's draining. That's hard to deal with. And I've just decided not to respond. I don't reward that type of action with, with response. Mm -hmm. uh, the other, and I don't, I don't know in what regard people were answering to, but the other negativity is kind of like attack. Like it's a negative attack. Yeah. And I've really been, I've been working on this the last month. Uh, and here's the, here's the mindset quote that I have in my mind. Would a secure person say that? Yeah. <laughs> and whenever I can, whenever I'm attacked, and, and it happens, not very often, but it happens. When I feel, and, and sometimes I feel like I'm attacked, even though as I discover through the right kind of conversation that follows, it wasn't really an attack. It was a style issue or a misunderstanding. But I just ask myself, would a secure person do that and the answer is no then my whole body language my whole posture it's it's no longer um 
it's 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 not fear based it's not i'm going to hit back based it is just man golly something must really be going on in their life yeah because i can quickly discern that the attack is not about me it's about them yeah and i watch this all the time flying i see attacks happen on a regular basis on the airport you know, and it's these four, the, the poor gate agents, flight attendants, you know, TSA, <laughs> whoever it is. Right. I mean, it's like, it's a high stress situation. They deal with attack all the time. And boy, I feel, I feel for people like that. But a lot of them have been around long enough to know that it's the situation that's got people uneasy. It's yeah. not them personally. Yeah. The so walk away. I like the walk away. Strategy. I know. But in what you're saying right there, though, you still see that it is very difficult to be immune to it. Those gate agents, those folks, so often you can see the, the hardenedness about them or the cynicism or they're just worn out. Well, hey, you, you asked that. And yeah, people responded with different contexts, but here's one, and this is interesting because he a guy who got attacked. So Christopher Dunstan, I know Christopher. He actually lived here in my town. He now lives in Hawaii. One of the most encouraging people I have ever met uh, and he said, uh, just yesterday, a client yelled at me. I was taken aback. I haven't been yelled at like that, uh, yelled at like that since elementary school. And the moment I focused on not adding to the fire that was burning, I apologized genuinely and removed myself from the situation over the next few hours. I reviewed what had transpired and what I could have done differently to have avoided the negative outcome. I came to realize that someone else's negativity is their own and it only becomes mine when I don't accept that truth. My client being upset isn't my issue. My issue is how I feel about my client being upset. Accepting responsibility for managing my own feelings and refusing to accept responsibility for the feelings of others, even clients, gives you freedom and empowers them to find true solutions to whatever they are facing. I thought that was really interesting. That's been a hard one for me, Tom. I, I take too much responsibility for others' feelings. So that's been a trajectory of my life that I'm continually working on. And I do, if, if I've done something wrong or bad or uncaring or insensitive, which I, I can do, or sometimes though, when I haven't, but someone feels that I have, they saw me through whatever filter and felt that either way I feel responsible and or guilty and then having to realize, though, that their behavior is on them. It is their choice. It is their responsibility, no matter what. They've taken action uh, or they've taken an action from me or just a perception and used that as an excuse to behave poorly. And realizing that, not, not, not caring you know, about that, because uh, it could be someone close to me, but that they are still responsible is something that I intellectually, I get it. And it feels like, oh, epiphany. In the moment, I don't always walk it out well. I think that will take a while, especially as I've walked in that for so long. So, man, I appreciate Christopher's perspective on that. Christopher, you're a ninja. Uh, he is. <laughs> so, he I is. Mean, that is like, that's like black belt response. Uh, and I have this picture, okay? Here's the picture. The, the way we see ourselves is we, we look at ourselves in the physical realm and when we get attacked, we feel like an equal or maybe even somebody who's got some positional power, like maybe a prize customer, is coming at us. 
And not only do is it awkward to defend, but we take responsibility that we shouldn't even take. Yeah. Right. But the ultimate is like, just imagine a 10th degree black belt teaching a six-year-old some moves. And now the six-year-old is going to attack the 10th degree lifetime black belt. There's no threat. There's no change in demeanor. It's just, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to help this six-year-old figure out how to, how to do that. You know, how we, how mature people handle this situation. That is a very difficult place to get on the emotional response. So I want to be an emotional black belt. I want yeah. to be, That's <laughs> I want to be at that level to where I can automatically sense the energy that's coming, just like in a physical force, the energies that's coming. Is it really a threat to me or is it about them? If I can figure that out emotionally immediately and then know how to diffuse it, just like you defend a blow, it's so easy to say, oh, I can see this has really got you upset. And I'm, I just want to apologize up front. If there's anything I did to contribute to this, it was unintentional. And I'm going to do everything I can to set it straight, to get it right, to do what's best. And maybe that'll diffuse the situation and maybe it won't. But all you've done then is you've, you've created this space where you can, you can separate yourself from the conflict and look at it as, is this a rational human being or is this behavior that has nothing to do with you? And once you know it has nothing to do with you, then you do exactly what Christopher said. You look back at the situation. Is there anything I could have done differently? And by the way, I want to give everybody listening permission. Nobody has to take uh, abuse from a customer. You just don't have to do it. When we had a lot of people working at the office, on a rare occasion, somebody would call up and they would get upset on the phone with our ladies. And sometimes they would use vulgarity. And I, my instruction was, you just send it to me immediately. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them out on it, you know, yeah. in a polite way. But nobody has to take abuse. And so if you're working in a work environment and the leadership structure gives you the permission to not take abuse, but also the equip, equips you to handle it correctly, and that's a safe place to be. Yeah. And that's, that's the challenge. And that's why there are more animatedly angry people today because there's these layers of dehumanization that go on through text, through phone, through social media that we don't even realize that we're talking to real people anymore. Yeah. Hey, I, I, I see that mostly on uh, just on the road, people driving and getting mad and I, I can sit and watch them and just realize, and they would never act like that at the line in Starbucks, you know, but you have that desensitization. I, I I'm still stuck back on emotional black belt. Maybe that's your next book. Next book. Somebody needs to write that. If you write that book, Tom gets royalties. Uh, but I, I love, I love the perspective. I really do. Well, here's a couple more. Donna Roberts. She says, "I try to remind myself that it all, in all likelihood, it has nothing to do with me, and work on finding something to be grateful for." I'm not always successful right away. It's a work in progress. Uh, Steve Rosen. You know Steve. He says, "I'm learning to take a deep breath and remind myself that I am dealing with another human being." 
I may have zero idea on what they are facing, so I do my best to err on the side of kindness. As a human, I sometimes project my negativity into others, which reminds me that we struggle at times, and a little compassion and empathy go a long way. My heart never regrets. Here's the line, Tom. My heart never regrets responding with kindness. Uh, I can't say the same for the opposite. Uh, so, of course, who comes to mind with kindness? Shanti Feldhahn. Folks, I, I, I should have gone and found the show number, but she has a book called The 30-Day Kindness Challenge. I don't think the title does justice to the immensity and the weight of that book. It's an incredible message on the power of kindness, but it's just as much or more the power of us being kind, what it does for us. For the other person, hopefully, hopefully that great, but it is for it is our own medicine. And so again, what Steve said, my heart never regrets responding with kindness uh, and just realizing it's a human being going through something, it, but it takes Tom. And when we know that it takes, it take for us to walk that out, takes us having a level of confidence, a level of our own self-worth not to get well back to your thing, an emotional black belt. That's right. And, you know, sometimes we can prepare ourselves because we know that there is the, the potential for an issue. And it's a little bit easier when we do that. But uh, going back to that mindset thing that I'm working on, the two, the two phrases that I'm trying to live by each day is the highest standard and the deepest grace. And, and so in this case, I have the highest standard set for me. Yeah for myself in how I handle uh, an attack, a conflict, an issue. And that is to immediately demonstrate the deepest grace, figure out who's at fault later, figure out, you know, what, what can we do differently, but just have this high standard and this deep grace. And I don't, you know, I, grace and kindness, they are probably kissing cousins. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and that's when we look at our social climate right now, you know, in politics or in all these like issues, there is no standard and there is no grace. And so if you're trying to work through this, uh, then what's your own standard that you can aspire to? And then how do you, you know, how do you extend the grace when other people don't have any standard? It's like, you know, they've dehumanized you and, 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 and they've, they've gotten to that position because they've been dehumanized yeah. at some point. Yeah. Now, one more thing uh, for Christopher. This is a story when I was working at the company in my early days. Uh, I was working on a big project and it was in the middle of the project and it was too early to judge. And I got brought in and sat down and just hammered and just in front of a group of people because it wasn't going the way that, you know, we thought. And it was really, I thought it was like completely unfair. You know, one of the mantras that we have at the company is that you, you praise in public and you criticize in private, private, right? That's, that's one of the mantras, but I come home, I tell dad the same, the whole situation and he gets this big grin on his face and so if you're listening, next time you get attacked, just remember this statement that Zig Ziglar told me. He said, he said, son, you know, the only taste of success some people have 
is when they take a bite out of you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) You are listening to The Ziggler Show, and I trust you're resonating with these comments about dealing with negativity. Next here in the show, I'm going to share a story from our next show, actually, with business influencer Guy Kawasaki. And it's a story of what most would call racism that his father just put to rest with a brilliant perspective, one that heavily influenced Guy. And now we get to hear and benefit from, and then we'll dive into more comments uh, from you guys with Tom Ziegler. I'm going to cue it right back and start again after I thank our wonderful show sponsors. You know what? This is show 710. I'll give you guys a, a little teaser coming up in show 711. I'm interviewing Guy Kawasaki and he has a new book called Wise Guy. And in that he tells a story of being at his, so he, he's a guy, he's done well, wealthy guy. I'm sure where he lives is a, is a fancy area. And he was out front though, trimming his own hedges, bushes, whatever. Uh, so, and guy is, he's, he's Asian, Asian American. Um, and a lady comes up, an older lady comes up to him and says, and, and asks him if she could hire him to do her yard as well. And he said, oh, you think because I'm, I'm Japanese, I'm the lawn guy. And, of course, she's incredibly embarrassed. Well, he later on you know, tells his, his father, uh, and his father was, you know, was, was uh, you know, in, in the military and dealt with wars and product of this and stuff and thought his dad would just be incensed. And his dad simply says, you know, mathematically – Seeing an Asian guy in that area trimming the hedges, she was right. That was a reasonable uh, conclusion to come to. And, and he says it just blew his mind that his dad dealt with it that diplomatically, I could say. Didn't get, he was an emotional black belt, Tom. Uh, there you go. You know, and, and we're, I've got some other responses here, but so many people, you know, responded that, uh, just like Steve does, he has no, as a human being, he has no idea what they are dealing with. And we all have heard that meme or that, that pithy quote, hurt people, hurt people, but it's just true. And when somebody is negative, when somebody goes on the attack, they're showing their own woundedness. And so Tom, I just had this happen. I, you know where I live. So I live in this valley up in the national park. Everybody's got their own plots of land. They're kind of separated from each other. And, and the reality is, and I, I'm trying to say this in a positive way because it's not negative, but they're generally there because they want privacy. They want quiet and peace. Uh, they, want, they want to be, you know, it's probably a bunch of introverts like me uh, for the most part up there. So there's been a, a new neighbor and some dog barking problems that just fill the valley. Just, you know, bark, 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 bark. Uh, a group email went out and then one neighbor who had, had, had the dogs that were in question here just responded in full out attack and even named me and names. She was putting blame everywhere, but herself, no apology, no nuts. She was just irate with, with everybody. So out of line. And my first thought though was, Oh my gosh, what kind of woundedness is happening here. Well, I responded to her personally and just because she was mainly upset at somebody else who had started it and blah, 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 all this, all this drama. And I just responded, just tried to be kind and, and, and yada, yada. She responded back to me. I cared. So what came across to her was I cared with so much humility, so much kindness, uh, and, and totally, you know, recanted everything she had said about us and my family and blah, 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 all this, all this stuff. And then said, her mother just passed away. They had just come back into town. 
She was devastated. And there you go. There was more to the story. Nobody knows that. The rest of my neighbors don't know that. She told me this in confidence, so I, I can't go tell them. So there's this story in this rift that's going to be out there, and nobody knows what is really happening. And I, I know that that's not fair to a lot of people. Now, if we come back to what you oh, – I'm going to title this thing, Emotional uh, Black Belt, Tom, because that's what we're talking about. If we have that ability, this stuff shouldn't ruffle us. So yeah. we're back to ourselves. So we want to not be ruffled by this stuff. Come back. And on that same, on a similar note, so Audrey's still here. She says, I remind myself that how other people act says a lot about who they are and little to nothing about who I am. So again, I've seen a post, a poster, a meme or whatever that says what you say about others says more about you than them. So when we have this person that's spewing negativity or on the attack, they're it's kind of like an open, they are now vulnerably saying, Hey, I, I'm wounded. I'm hurting. I'm insecure. We're back to that. And if we can see them and have, well, back to your thing too, just have grace on them. We should be good. We should be good. Yeah. Never write this down. Everybody's got your phone out, put it in your notes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You'll never regret giving kindness. Yeah. That's a good one, Steve. It is. It is. So Jody Tootin here, she says, I have a friend who taught me years ago to say, I don't receive that. And to do just the opposite when the positive comes and say, thank you. I do receive that. Then you can let the good stuff sink in and the bad roll off easily. It blesses people when you're able to receive the gift of positive words they're giving, just as it disarms them. When you say, I don't receive that to negativity, it helps them see that maybe that was a bit inappropriate or offensive without saying so outright. I mean, I like that. I, I got to say that takes some bravery to take somebody who's given negativity and say, I don't receive that. Are you doing it? I don't, th- I don't know if I can see. <laughs> I haven't done that. I'm trying to think who can I, who can I do that to? I don't receive that's, that's bold. That's bold. I'm going to put that in the bold category. You know what? From a mental uh, perspective, I know it works. Okay. Cause words have power. Yeah. And when we make a conscious decision to receive or reject something, uh, it does set us in the right direction. I'm wondering if you have to do it out loud verbally. It may depend on who the person is, you know, and what yeah. relationship you have with them for sure. It will, it will work, but it might not get the response you want at Starbucks. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. We're driving down the interstate yelling out your window. Uh, so Renee Schultz here, she says, I put up an imaginary shield. I actually visualize the shield protecting me and I pray Then I do not allow the negativity to enter past the shield. This works for me most of the time. I then get busy doing something positive. Don't let negative Nellies take you down, love them, pray for them and feed them from a distance with a long handled spoon. Uh, they do not have access to the inner circle. We're back to the emotional aspect that for all of us, and this is not, you know, this is what I love these Q and A's. I wasn't trying to head this direction, but your emotional ninja, can we all be feeding ourselves so that when this happens and it's going to the ne- somebody who's just negative about something or they're negative towards you specifically, and you can take it with a deep breath and with health. Um, well, Jennifer, I wish I could say that in the moment I pray for peace because I'm such a positive person, but negativity, because I'm such a positive person, negativity from others shocks me first. Then it angers me 
and anger sets in and I become sweetly sarcastic. Then it brews inside until I can no longer stand it. And I confront the person again with the desire to make the atmosphere positive again. If I can feel positivity around, or if I can't feel positivity around me, I avoid or walk away from the situation. My health suffers if I'm around it too long. Now, coming from just what we said about being, you know, emotional, an emotional black belt, I still think you can be secure in yourself, have peace. You can be above it, but still realize that negativity wears you down. I mean, we know it doesn't lift you up. I mean, it does take its toll. And I I don't want to minimize that for those who are out there and say, Hey, if you're just emotionally well, then it shouldn't bother you. It it bothers me, Tom. I mean, it does. And nobody wants to be around it. I, I want to just remove myself. Uh, I want to tell the person, you know, that, uh, the, the, you know, think on the positive side, whatever, tell them something, which they often don't want to hear. But I think we need to, you know, for ourselves as well, when we're feeling negative to know that when we're spewing that out there, it hurts other people. It's tearing them down. I don't think we realize that we think it's, I mean, you know, that it's it went back to Shanti and she talks about that. She doesn't believe that venting helps. She believes it's throwing gas on the fire. That's a debate. I mean, it really is. And I have sympathy on both sides. Yeah, I think, uh, for venting, I'm a, I'm a much more of a believer in getting some physical exercise or going and doing something different, blowing some steam off. Uh, I just think words have so much power. And so mm-hmm. when we vent, um, now you can read the Psalms and there was some pretty good venting going on in there. Uh, and so if you want to go vent to God and then here's the thing, right? We go and we vent to God. The, the point is, is you got to leave it with him. Yeah. Our tendency is we go in and vent, and then we pick it all up and leave with it. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like if we're going to go in and go, this is unfair, I don't understand, how could this happen, and you just vent, 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 then you've got to do the final vent, which is, God, I'm giving this all to you. You didn't mean for it to be this way. I'm, I'm going to become new. I'm going to put the good stuff in. I'm going to go live this way. So if we're going to vent, we got to leave it. We got to leave it behind. We got absolutely okay. So this again, this is show seven ten, folks. Back in show seven oh seven was the interview with Hal Elrod, uh, with his incredible book Miracle Morning, and now the Miracle Equation. And he talks in there about being taught himself. He was taught about the five minute rule that he gets five minutes to do that to vent, complain, dispute, whatever, and that's it. Five minutes, and then it's done. That's, that's his limit. And when he first tried it, he t- it's a great show to listen to. He says when he first tried it, he realized that was not enough. He still had more venting he wanted to do. He wanted to hold on a sucker. And then as time progressed, he quickly – then he had a moment, little little moment, where he started in on that. Negative happened. He started going in, and he was only a minute in, and he realized he's got four more minutes. And what good is it going to do? It's four minutes wasted. And – uh and he let it go five minutes. So again, great one to listen to from Hal. And I know some other people have talked about that five minute rule. Well, here's a couple more, Tom, Tony Banning. He says, if the person is someone I know, I can usually turn their mood around with a smile, a touch, a hug, a joke, etc. When it's a stranger, I ask questions. In my experience, most people commit. Here's a word, a suicide. I never heard that before. I like that's that. That's good. I know. They, that's good. They commit a suicide towards someone without seeking to understand them first. We're all victims of insufficient or incorrect information. Once I get a better understanding of someone, I'm in a much better position to prescribe what is needed. I am no miracle worker, but being committed to loving people where they are, where they're at is a good start. 
right after him, we have a Tim Tupper. He says, I try to kill them with kindness. Sometimes it'll take weeks to turn them around, but persistence usually works. I've only had one person not respond to kindness after dealing with him every day for several months while deployed. So I stopped wasting time on him. Well, we group those together because again, we've got some people saying, man, I just got to get away. I got to, I'm going to walk away. I'm going to remove myself. And I get it. And we're not pointing out a right or wrong. We're probably looking at personality styles, personal experience. Here are two people whose, whose obvious focus was, I am going to invest in that person and try to help bring them around, which is very altruistic because that person is not having fun. They're not enjoying this. Uh, their, their blood pressure's up. Uh, their stress levels up. They're not good. So for these guys to want to invest also very valiant. But I think Tom, it goes back to, yeah, where you are, where you are emotionally, what you feel called to, do you have faith that that other person can be brought around or are they just negative Nelly as somebody said before. Uh, but I, I appreciate these guys for saying, I'm going to be persistent. I'm going to work. I'm going to dive into these folks and try to help them. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a relational thing. And, mm-hmm. and is it ever a mistake to try to create a real relationship with somebody? Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't know them and you're just getting started, I don't think it's a mistake. It, it may not be a fit. It, you know, the values and everything could be completely different. Uh, but anything we could do to make them human, right, to have some sort of connection point where we are uh, talking to them on a – on a relational basis is just going to help us go to that next level. You know, I'm working on my next book. Um, the, the tentative title for the book is called Atmos- Atmosphere. And atmosphere is that feeling of the, you know, when we walk in someplace uh-huh. and it's, it's, we know a great atmosphere when we walk in and we also know a negative one. It's just like when you are meeting somebody for the first time, they bring their atmosphere with them. Yeah. Right. And so some people just have that that negative kind of cloud over their head, that demeanor, that facial expression, you know, that 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 sharp little snide comment capability of sarcasm that just follows them. And so here are some words uh, that can help you in this, because somebody said, well, I like to I like to put shields up and cover myself. Uh-huh. Okay, so here are some words that you can think of when you are entering into uh, a place that could have contention in it. First off is we got to conceive the atmosphere that we want. You know, what is it we want? We got to conceive it. And then we've got to choose it. So if we say, I want great relationships, I want, you know, lighthearted fun to happen when I'm with my friends then we've got to choose to create that, right? So we conceive it, and then we choose it, and then we create it. And the creation is what we go into it. Cover it, the C for cover, is sometimes, you know, I'd look at the Starship Enterprise. You know, sometimes they're going into dangerous territory. It shields up. And kind of my mindset is, is I'm going to overwhelm them with my atmosphere. Yeah. My shield is actually my healthy, positive atmosphere. And it's going to extend into them. I'm not letting their negative atmosphere come to me. And then the, the last C is cultivate it. Hmm. So we conceive it, we choose it, we create it, we cover it, and we cultivate it. And in a negative, you know, and so if we kind of have that highest standard, deepest grace, 
and we want to be known as, you know, there's always the family where all the kids in the neighborhood where they just hang out at that one house, right? That's the family we want, right? That's yeah. the place that we want. There's an atmosphere there that says, hey, you're, you're welcome. You know, we, we want you here. Same at work, same in social environment. And uh, customers, you know, you, you, you talk to somebody who's been in business a long time or they've been in sales a long time. They have pet names for their customers. They'll say something like, oh, that's one of my little customers. And it's a term of endearment. Yep. And all they've done is created an atmosphere. But they've also, in a business relationship, just like in a social relationship, they set boundaries. They said, hey, you're not coming across this line because it's not acceptable. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is immense. Uh, I did not know that. You just divulged to me your next book. I didn't know. So I'm excited. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, we're t- you know, we ultimately, and you just really gave a good outline of that. I mean, we're talking about two areas. When we're talking about negativity, we're talking about our inner ability to deal with it, cope with it, which is your emotional black belt. I think you got to put that in the book somewhere, at least, <laughs> is, is how we deal with it there. But then on the, you know, on the outer side, I don't think any of us can withstand that. And I do, Tom, I feel like my, my heart cries out a bit to those who are in environments with constant negativity, I don't know that anybody can or should endure that for the long haul. I mean, if you're in a work environment, I don't know that it's worth the, 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 the toil it's going to have on your soul, on your spirit. And, and, and so to that degree, as much as we're saying, Hey, inner wise, you need to be strong. You need to be Zig Ziglar, right? But I don't think Zig would have ever allowed himself to remain in any environment with constant negativity. He would have tried, I'm sure, to, to affect it for change, to love on that person. But at some point, I don't think anything ever would have been worth him staying there. And I think we need to give that a lot of weight. And I know that's hard for people because some of them, it's in their home. Um, it's yep. in their work. I mean, we're talking money. I'm, so I'm speaking to money right now. Uh, money and intimate relationships. And yet we just don't see, I I don't know. I think that's the frustrating thing, Tom, when you see that the positive and negative at work, call it good and evil, call it what, you know, however deep we want to go here, that is evil stronger. No, but boy, in our general lives, it tends to erode the good better than, you know, more so than the opposite. A lot of times, depending on who it is. And if you have a strong person come in, they're going to lead. It's a a leader. But if you're in a place that's led by negativity, it's really, really difficult to overcome. Yep. I had a good friend, uh, FBI agent, and we had done some business together. And he said, uh, he said, you know what? I'll die for you. I'll take a bullet for you. He, he used to joke with me because he would sit down at the front at, at Prestonwood Baptist Church on security detail on the weekends, and he was there to protect the pastor. And he used to say, you know, if if a bad guy comes in, he says, I'm not sure if I'm going to get in front of the pastor or in front of your dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard call. But he said, uh, he, he said, Tom, he said, I'll, I'll take a bullet for you. I'll die for you, but I won't commit suicide for you. Hmm. And that just stuck with me. Mm. And I think that is what people convince themselves that it's okay to do when a toxic relationship is it's okay to commit suicide because that's what you're doing. It's suicide when you're constantly exposed to an environment that's tearing, tearing pieces of you apart. 
that is, we're going to anchor right there. I'll die for you, but don't, but I won't commit suicide for you. I've never heard that. That is, that's harsh and convicting. Uh, so there you go, folks. We've got two, two ways to be looking at this is how we can handle this inside inside of us, how we can be emotional black belts as Tom Ziegler is now coined forever, forevermore. Uh, but then also we've got to protect ourselves from gosh, suicide, hard word, but it's so true. And there's a lot of people out there sitting there right now who feel that they're within that right now. Uh, Tom, thanks man. Always a gift. And especially you just announced a new book. Um, so I'm honored <laughs> to be here uh, as is everyone listening, but folks, thanks for all that you submitted here. It always takes these in deeper and better directions than I could ever think to take it on my own. Uh, it's a gift, Tom. Thanks brother. Thanks brother. So how are you dealing with negative people? Are you feeling like an emotional ninja? I really trust this show has given you more awareness on how you are effectively dealing with negative people. Coming up in show 711, how to become wise by learning lessons from your life. Uh, so wisdom is defined as the quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. Uh, and I find that actually falls in that sequential order. You have an experience, you gain knowledge from which you utilize good judgment, or, or let's say, I mean, you can, if you pay attention, uh, that's the crux of this show with wise guy, Guy Kawasaki. This is actually my second interview with Guy. Uh, his new book is called Wise Guy, and it's an incredible compilation of life lessons. Uh, I just, as soon as I picked it up, I was intrigued, and now I'm going to have my family read it. Uh, if you don't know Guy, he's an unprecedented influencer in the business world, which accounts for the half million people who follow him on Facebook and almost one and a half million on Twitter. He's chief evangelist of Canva. It's an online graphic design tool, and he's brand ambassador for Mercedes Benz, which I don't think needs any definition or uh, explanation. He was the chief evangelist of Apple, and his stories of working with Steve Jobs and the lessons learned are just intriguing. Uh, he's a best-selling author of multiple books, such as The Art of the Start 2.0 and Enchantment and a bunch of others. But in this book, Wise Guy, he walks through much of his life and career and literally shares a ton of great stories and then what lessons he learned from them. And they're just lessons that really spoke to me and I think will to you as well. And as you'll hear, it uh, it really caused me just to consider, consider the many events that have and are always happening in my life and ask, am I learning lessons from them or am I just letting them pass by? And honestly, we just hit on some really poignant issues in the show and we laughed a lot. He's just a total joy to be with and learn from guys as humble and as authentic as anyone I've ever met. Uh, so again, I think you're going to learn a lot and really enjoy this show. Uh, and you can find guys book wise guy, wherever you buy books, of course, till then folks, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.